When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin Kincaid's new friend, best friend, Mike Missinelli, had a, uh, had a uh, Philadelphia Union jersey on and was talking soccer for about 10 minutes. I couldn't believe it. Well, do you know Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad? Uh, I do not know him, no. Yeah, he's just a Well, I know who he is. Ah, yes, very good. Thank you for that wonderful introduction from Jim Curtin, from Howard the King Eskin. Uh, that was uh, Jim from Havertown, I think, on the on the phone call, too. And we had Bone Thugs and Harmony uh, providing the music for the uh, intro this week. It is indeed the thuggish, ruggish bone. Um, as a quick A-side, always, always underrated Bone Thugs and Harmony, weren't they? You know, I remember uh, back in 1999 when the box was still a thing and you used to, like, call in and pay 50 cents for them to, to play a music video, right? I think uh, Resurrection Paper Paper was... Uh, you know, on the uh, the box at least like 40, 40 times a day. You know, I was back back in the the, the halcyon days of uh, of music. But listen, we're going to get another podcast in here. Actually, uh, before I leave for vacation, I'm heading to Florida. Oh, I got to turn my phone off. This is terrible. Who's texting me? Um, before I uh, head down to uh, Florida for vacation for, uh, for about a week, so I wanted to get something up. And we're just going to do mailbag podcast here. We're going to hammer a bunch of topics and um, just kind of nail everything from the Toronto game and from the Montreal game as well. We had a Canada twofer, uh, Quebec and Ontario. Uh, but actually, first, an announcement. I, I think you may have saw this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. We came up with a date for the, uh, the live show, the next uh, Always Soccer in Philadelphia live show. So that's going to be June 18th. Uh, at Subaru Park, it'll be the uh, before the Cincinnati game, and uh, we are going to do it in the Sons of Ben tailgate area this time around. Uh, so, looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of a lot of fun. Talk to Matt, uh, SOB President Matt, um, about setting that up, and we'll get all the details finalized and whatnot. But we've got a time, and we've got a, a place, and we've got a um, you know that sorted, and we'll figure everything else out as we go. You know, we were originally going to do um, well. This is a long time coming because we, you know, we did the live show at the Larimer back in 2019 on the day that they opened, and we wanted to. Um, you know, we actually had the live show that was scheduled there for 2020 um, in March, like a week before COVID. So remember, we canceled that one, and then uh, I had my second kid and COVID and all that stuff. And we, you know, it's been three years now since we were able to get back out and do another live show. Uh, you know, we were originally going to do it at the Larimer again, but uh, the long story short, there's kind of like a dispute going on between the the owners, the guys who run the place. So, you know, instead of kind of like having to navigate that and, you know, work around that or whatever, it's just like, hey, you know, why don't we why don't we do it in the uh, tailgate section and we can get a nice crowd for that and have some fun. And, uh, you know, maybe if I can lug out the box of, uh, you know, like merch, leftover Sixers merchandise and like Union merchandise, I think I have some MMA stuff in there too. You know, maybe we can do like another giveaway. I think we did like a raffle or something the first time and we gave away uh, some some cool items when we did it at the Larimer back in 2019. So looking forward to that. So that'll be fun. So June, uh, June 18th, um, 
before the uh, Cincy game. I, th- I think what we did with the Larimer the last time is we did like an hour and 45 minutes before the game started. So that gave people, you know, I think we did maybe like a 45-minute show. So 45 minutes took you up to like an hour before the game. And then if you wanted to keep tailgating or you wanted to head into the game, I think it worked out uh, pretty well. So, um, okay, listen, moving on. Um, I just kind of have like a like a list of, of, of items to go over here. And then I'll get to your... Um, you know, your, uh, your questions and your comments and concerns. But, uh, first with the Toronto game, um, you know, look, I, I, we all know the red card was a terrible, a terrible call. The disciplinary committee came back and, you know, suspended, um, Nelson for the extra game, which we knew was going to happen. Uh, doesn't benefit the, uh, the union at all. You know, it, it punishes Toronto as it should, uh, but it doesn't benefit the aggrieved team at all, right? So, you know, they have to go play down a man against New York City. So New York City benefits from – not down a man, but missing a man. So New York City benefits from something that they they didn't have uh, anything to do with, right? So let me, let me read you the whole disciplinary uh, committee statement, if I can. Toronto FC forward Jaden Nelson has been suspended for one match and fined an undisclosed amount for serious foul play in the 19th minute of Toronto's match against the Philadelphia Union on April 16th. Nelson will serve his one-match suspension on April 24th against New York City FC. Uh, It was a 5-4 win for NYC. Uh, the play was reviewed under MLS Disciplinary Committee Parameter 3, where the match officials see an incident do not issue a red card on the case of clear and obvious simulation slash embellishment that meets the conditions for suspension. Under Parameter 3, the MLS Disciplinary Committee shall issue either a one-match suspension on incidents in which the professional referee organization acknowledges an on-field referee slash video assistant referee error and the committee is unanimous at red card and one match suspension and action taken, or the MLS disciplinary committee shall issue a two or more match suspension on incidents in which the discipline warrants at least a two match suspension. The incident in question must be in the unanimous opinion of the committee from all available evidence, a clear and unequivocal red card and egregious or repeat behavior in nature and or such that the MLS disciplinary committee must act to protect player safety or the integrity of the game and or clear and obvious simulation, and all of that is just a fancy way of saying they fucked up, they fucked it up. Uh, that was the most obvious red card ever, you know? And, I mean, you, you guys know me. I'm not a, uh, you know, a red card champion, you know? I, I think anybody who comes up as a defender is like, you know, let's play, right? You know, um, challenges are going to come in. They're going to be hard, but, I mean, the studs were facing. The studs were high. You know, he comes in, he gets him all like on the inside of the shin, it looked like. Um, so to me, it was obvious. You, know, you see Jim Curtin on the sidelines doing the uh, the crane stance, you know, martial arts, you know, crane kick or whatever, you know, saying that the, the foot was high and he came in and he spiked him. So, um, you know, again, they're, they're given, uh, you know, they're rewarding NYCFC who had nothing to do with it and Toronto gets punished, but the union don't get anything out of it. So, you know, again, it's pretty obvious that something needs to change with that. I don't know how they fix it, but I think we're all in agreement that it, uh, that it does need to be fixed. I think a, a bigger macro level kind of thing is that we've talked on this podcast and on the post game show over the last year or two of just how, how lucky the union have been. They've had a bunch of VAR calls go in their favor the ball's bouncing in their, their way. You know, I think a lot of stuff that used to go, used to go against them in the past is working out for them now. And just by the law of averages, you know, you expect things to swing back to, to, uh, you know, against them at some point, right. They weren't going to have this amazing 
run of luck that was going to last forever. But I think for it to for it to happen this way, where the refs just blow a call that would have put them up, um, it would have put them up a man. Then it's hard to have the you know well bad luck you know better off next time you know what can you do about it you know what you can do about it is get the call right in the first place you know so anyway enough uh, complaining about the refs before I sound like Nick Nurse and uh, Doc Rivers out here but um you know the things you can control yeah you always say after a game it's like hey we can't control the refs what can we control we can control the way we play and the Union defending was pretty poor in that Toronto game and you know it's funny because we've said it before that when they get their when they make their defensive mistakes they tend to to make them all at once they kind of get it out of their system so to speak you guys remember the Minnesota game from from a year ago where they gave up I guess the three goals on the road and they just didn't look like themselves but they came back after that and they looked very much like themselves so it's almost like hey we're gonna you know when we're when we're bad we're really really bad and when we're good we're really really good and and the bad is going to be a one game or a two game kind of outlier you know it's not stuff that lingers and uh yeah, I think on both the goals, they were pretty much the same, which is, you know, that they, they you know, allowed Toronto into good spaces in the final third, and they were just sort of afraid to to close out or or get tight or take a swing because they didn't want to concede penalties, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, in like the case of the game winner or whatever, uh, you, you don't have to lunge. You don't have to make a tackle. You don't have to body the guy or anything, but you should at least try to stay with him and stay in front of him. You know, the Pozuelo goal specifically, you know, Brujo Martinez is there and he kind of like takes a knee and sticks out a leg. That's like the pickup game lazy leg, right? It's like, you know, I don't (laughs) – you throw that out when you're – when you're tired after 45 minutes of playing pickup and you're not, nobody's really defending anyway, you know. So for him to kind of like take a knee there and kind of be static was weird. And then Jack Elliott a little bit hung out to dry because Martinez should be there kind of like hesitant saying like, hey, I'm going to try to keep my position here. And, and that's fine. But, you know, you, you're the, the technique there, the coaching point is like, hey, you don't have to lunge. You don't have to stick a foot out. You don't have to even make a challenge, but slide, you know, go, go parallel with him, you know, and at least try to just like get, get in front and interfere. Um, that way you don't risk giving up a penalty, but at the same time, uh, you're creating traffic. You're trying to put your body in front of his body. You know, a lot of, a lot of times what, um, you know, coaches will teach you, I don't know if it's the same now as it used to be, but they always used to, you know, to tell us when you're a defender and a guy's one-on-one with you or, you know, you're in space or whatever, somebody's running at you with the ball. The time to make a move is when they make a move, right? So what a lot of times is what will happen is that people will be coming at you straight. A guy will be dribbling with the ball, and then he'll try to go around you, right? So he'll try to go left or he'll try to go right. Your break is his break, right? So if he cuts and he tries to go left, that's when I push and I make my movement. I try to cut him off uh, with with a parallel movement, you know, because if you reach and you stab when somebody's coming straight at you, it's easy for them to go right around you. But if you divert their momentum and you got them going sideways, then it's easy to kind of plant pivot and go with him you know which is what they did you know it's what they did especially on the first one too jacob glessness was in position to make a challenge and just kind of swung and whiffed so you know you got to be disciplined there and you just got to wait and you just got to hold up for it um you know i think i think final point on that is that you know if, if you have a guy who's who's dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and he doesn't go parallel that's when it's really hard and uh, in this case, you have guys that want that want to make you make the first move as a defender. So, uh, you know, I'll give you a very easy example. One of the best in the world at doing this is Christian Pulisic, right? Where he's dribble, 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 dribble. And he waits until the very last minute where he's going to go left or right or make his move or make his cut. And it's really hard for defenders because he keeps pushing you back and back and back and you're on your heels and you're like, oh, shit, now I'm only like – 18 yards out. I'm like right at the edge of the box. Like I got to do something now. So a lot of times they stick a foot out and then he makes that pass. 
he lays it off or he he'll drive, you know, on his, on his strong foot and, you know, crack a shot or something like that. So I think that's hard for sure. You know, trying to backpedal and trying to wait for somebody to go, go parallel. So you can step in and kind of, uh, make your move and attack that, that those work because then he's making the first move and you're responding to the move when you're in trouble is when you have a guy running at you like a winger and then he's coming straight at you like shit i gotta do something or else you know he's gonna go right by me so i think that was the case on those but they came in and and uh you know they they did a a better job i'll i'll take it to segue it to the montreal game at this point because we're on the same topic here you know the goal that they gave up against montreal is just sort of a whatever you know I, I think you give credit to montreal for that for that for sure and um you know the case in point i mean the, the union didn't really get they came back from the toronto game right they looked pretty good defensively and didn't really give up much didn't give up a lot of shots or anything like that i think the thing that was interesting about the montreal goal is that kai wagner was kind of in space uh kind of you know a little bit ahead of the the rest of the back line and there was a pass that came down the right flank and he reached for it and tried to get a leg in and intercept it, which was which is interesting to me. I, I think like the coaching point. If you would ask Jim Curtin to say, "Hey, do you want him hanging back a little bit, or do you want want him to try to go and intercept that ball there?" Because what happens then is the ball get pa- gets passed him, and Jack Elliott has to come over into space, and he has to defend in space one on one. And uh, that's never where you want a center back to begin with. You know, you don't want them to have to go out and cover in space, especially because Elliott and Glessness aren't the, the fastest guys on the planet, right? But I mean, Jack did a decent enough job of containing him. And, uh, you know, but the ball comes in anyway, and Glessness has to track like a meandering kind of 15, 20 yard run where it's hard for him to close down space to begin with because the guy's got, got a head start and he's kind of entering space. And I think you just give Kai Kamara credit for just that slight kind of, am I going back shoulder? No, I'm going to come near post, you know, and, uh, find the ball and not a ton you can do there, but if you wanted to blame somebody, you could go back and, uh, you know, try to, try to ask Kai Wagner, ask Jim Curtin, like, Hey, what, what's the the coaching point there. Do you want him to step in front there? Or do you want him to kind of sag back? You know, where's the, the shuttler at the same time on that side too. So, so speaking of shuttlers on that side, Leon flock, uh, kind of the big takeaway talking point, I guess, from the Montreal game, um, you know, based on the fact that they had what amounted to a three V zero pretty much and couldn't score off of it. You know, he found the ball over there on the left side and he had two guys in front of him and, just uh, you know, he tried to try to play it early, tried to play it one time and just missed and put it behind him and you know, could have made a better pass there, could have took another touch or two with the ball, could have fired his own shot, you know. Um so, you know, again it's we laugh about it because it's the most like we say it's the most Leon Flock thing ever, right? You know, I mean amazing defensively, bulldog work rate, covers more ground than anybody, probably the best Q reader and press the best best pressing player uh, on the team, but then when when he uh you know, gets into uh, the final third. He just looks like he has no idea what to do with the ball, you know? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll qualify that statement by saying that we, you know, he wasn't signed to be an attacking player. He wasn't signed to be an attacking wizard. He's also 20 years old and not much is expected of him going forward when you have, you know, a number 10, two strikers, you've got fullbacks, you've got Alejandro Bedoya on the other side for sure. But, you know, it's like we said, um, you know, in before that in the system, Hey man, you're a, you're a box to box guy in the system, so you are going to find yourself in the offensive box as well. You know, so so it has to be. You don't have to be a virtuoso on the ball, but you have to at least be able to do something with it every once in a while. So, 
you know, I, th- I think I would say that it's not an anti Leon flock take. And it's not like you, it's not like you take him out of the, cause we were having discussions about, you know, do you take him out of the starting lineup? And it's not because it's not necessarily because he's playing poorly or because he like deserves to come out of the 11. It's not like he's making mistakes. It's not like an Olivier Ambizo and Nathan Harriel kind of thing. It's more like, Hey, do you, do you need more like going forward from one of the eights? Like, can you, can you sacrifice what he gives you defensively for, you know, Jack McGlynn and start him and see if you can get some, some more chance creation out of it because they only had two shots on goal the other day. They were both really, really good. They had two really good opportunities. Um, and the XG was better than Montreal's XG. And it was, what was it here? 1.2 to uh, 0.5. You know, but they only had four shots on goal. Montreal had eight. Montreal had three shots on target. The Union had two. They conceded possession 45 to 55, which we expect, um, you know, fewer passes, less passing accuracy, all that stuff. You know, we know what they are, but, um, you know, that's really the question, you know, and, and if we were doing like a poll, if this was, uh, you know, the fanatic or uh, WIP or something, we would say, does Leon flock or, you know, would you start Jack McGlynn or Leon flock next game? You know, um, and I have a feeling a lot of people would probably say McGlynn or somebody else at this point, you know. Um, likewise, Alejandro Bedoya, who's doing some really good things and early in the season looked like he was, you know, five years younger. Um, I think we're getting to some of those points again now where you get that we were at last year where you get to like 70 minutes or 75 minutes or something like that. And it's, it's like, look, maybe you got to get him off. And put somebody else over there. You know, I think the weird thing is, like we said, is that they have a bunch of left-footed uh, shuttlers, right? So they have McGlynn and Flock, and you would think that they would exchange on that side. But you've had Sullivan, Quinn Sullivan, who's able to play, you know, on the right side and has started on the right side this year and looked pretty good over there. So and you've got Bueno as well. So you you have options over there, and uh, you know, like in a perfect world, you're going to get enough from from Gajdog and Or and you know, Sergio Santos and Carranza, who's been playing really well, that you, that you really, you shouldn't, we, we shouldn't have to be having conversations about, like, hey, do we need more offense out of the strong side shuttler? Like you really, it shouldn't have to come down to that. But you ask yourself, you know, is the balance, you know, are we too balanced in one direction, you know? Uh, can we afford to give up some defense for some on-ball chance creation? Or do we think we can create better chances with Leon getting high and pressing? You know, like, are you abandoning the system if you go to that? You know, so interesting discussions to have on that topic for sure. I, I think it's a it's a small part of a bigger question where I think what a lot of people were talking about after the game um, and some phone calls that we got on the post game show, which was cool. Uh, they have the uh, if you didn't listen the other night, we have the ability for you guys to call in. And I ask questions live on on the gambler if you want. So we had questions about, hey, you know, Jim again with the subs, right? You got all these subs now, you know. Um, again, why are we why are we making our two subs at sixty five and then bringing Paxton Aronson on at eighty eight minutes when that doesn't give him time to do jack shit, you know? So um, I think a lot of people are saying that they felt like there was a regression there for Jim to you know being conservative and and deferring to the veterans and the old guys, you know, when what puts you over the top a couple of years ago. Two of the best players that you had on the Shield winning team were Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson, right? So, you know, if you go down the list of minutes played this year, your top guys are these are the guys who have played every single minute of every single game. 
Blake, Elliott, Glestis, Martinez, Fogner, right? And that's what we expect. It's your back line. Your back line doesn't change. It's your goalkeeper. Gosh, Dog has played 681 minutes. Leon Flock has played 652 minutes. And then uh, Nate, Nate Harriel at 630, 630 minutes. So that's uh, every game, full 90 every game outside of the one that he started at the very beginning when Mbizo was still in there. So really, if you look at it, I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven players uh, before you hit the first homegrown, you know. And, uh, you know, we've said this before, the flock is so young that even though he didn't come through the system, he may as well be, you know, with an asterisk qualified as a, as a young player, as like a guy who, who needs minutes. Or maybe he's not homegrown, but it's like, let's get our young players on the field. Okay, so you got flock is on the field. Harriel's on the field. Yeah, but then after that, it's Bedoya, 624 minutes. Carranzer, 473 minutes for Julian Carranzer. Uh, Sergio Santos, 339, Michael Orr, 288, Corey Burke, 272. And, oh, here's Quinn Sullivan all the way down here. So Quinn Sullivan has started one game and played five, and he's got 118 minutes. Uh, Jack McGlynn has made four appearances off the bench and played 76 minutes. Paxton Aronson has six appearances off the bench and he's played 43 minutes. Matt Rayal has played one minute. So if you take away the Harrell minutes, yeah, we can add 43 to 76, which is like 110, 119, I guess, plus uh, 118 for Sullivan, and it's like 240-ish minutes. So your other three homegrowns have played a combined 240-some-odd minutes in uh, eight games, which is not its not ideal, you know what I mean? Because that, that's, what, that's what they have been, you know, priding themselves on over the years is the develop the kids we put them through the academy we play them and then we sell them you know um but we're not really we're not really seeing a ton of that right now so i think jim's got to be a little bit more aggressive with his subs you know use them all you know you don't and, and you know you don't, you don't have to be conservative at this point in the season it's like yeah you got you're at the top of the east and we really should have nothing to feel negative about right really you know nobody's like really truly complaining these are all good problems to have but uh you're tied 1-1 with Montreal at home at late April. Why not fucking go for it? You know, why not? You know, are we playing for a point or are we playing for a three here, you know? Um, I, I personally just would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive in that game, you know? so But, you know, you take the point, whatever. Um, those are the bigger macro-level topics. Just a, just a couple of um, quick hitters that I wrote down uh, when I was taking notes. Um, the, the penalty that the Union got was, was not a penalty. I mean, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, Miller comes over, he gets a foot on the ball. Um, it looked worse in real time than it was when they slowed it down. And I was surprised I didn't see more complaining about that. I don't, I don't know if it was just me. Like I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, why, why do I feel like I'm the only one who's like complaining about this? Maybe it's just because union, union fans aren't you know, necessarily going to be vocal about a call that goes in their favor, of course. And maybe after the Toronto thing from the week before, everybody felt like, Hey, okay. So, we, you know, we'll call it a makeup call, you know, for us. And we get one back after last week's bullshit that they pulled on us, which is, which is fine. Whatever, you know, things tend to equal out that way anyway. But I mean, he got the ball from what I could see. And if not, it looked like they both hit the ball at the same time. And if they do hit the ball at the same time, that's legal too. I mean, you can kind of clatter into the guy. You can knock him over or whatever. If you make, if you're, if you're both make an on ball contact at the same time. So I didn't think that was a penalty. Um, the other note I wrote down was that I thought Harriel got away with one on the play where, uh, Kai Kamara was trying to jump on the, uh, 
I don't know if it was, I, don't, I can't remember if it was a dead ball or if it was a live ball, but there was a cross that came into the box. And actually, Harrio was on the backside, was on the blind side of the ref and pulled Kamara's arm down just a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think if, if you have a cleaner look at that, the referee could. I've seen those called penalties before. So I thought they got away with one there. I thought they were lucky with that for sure. Um, you know, and then the only other thing that I that I wrote down was that I thought that, uh, you know, the yellow card that Bedoya picked up was a little funky. I, you know, it was weird because I think, you know, Brujo was coming into, uh, can't remember who it was. It may have been Kone was coming into him from behind. And I think he started to go down because of the contact that came from behind. And then Bedoya is just sliding in front of the ball, but what happened behind it made it look like it came, he came in harder than he did. So I don't, I don't think that was a, was a, was necessarily a yellow card either. I had the two screens going on the 85 inch. It was great. So we had the union on the big, the big, uh, box. And then we had the, uh, the Sixers on the little box. Like, you know, I kept looking back and forth between the two of them. And uh, it was like the refs were, were going back and forth trying to see who could make the worst call of the uh, of the afternoon. Who can make the worst foul call? Who can call the worst penalty? You know. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't exactly a, the most enjoyable um, you know moment of uh, of uh, of, of uh, you know that that Saturday experience, right? Those the second half of both of those games, watching all that. So all right, so uh, that's all I got for bullet points written down. Um, Let's uh, wrap it up here with questions and comments and concerns uh, before I fuck off to Florida. Uh, this is from Matt Batdorf. By the way, Matt, I didn't I didn't forget about you. I'll um I'll get in touch with you. All right. Um, I'm not sure why Jim has regressed with his sub timing and patterns, but he seems reluctant to pull the trigger with our deepest team ever. Uh, super frustrating to see Aura and uh, Bedoya just dead for the last twenty minutes when we need to be pushing for a goal. I agree. I I you know. I don't have anything more profound to add to that. You know, he's got, he's got to kind of get back to, you remember we were talking about this like three years ago, you know, it's like, you knew, you knew exactly when each sub was going to be made, you know, it's like you could predict it to the minute, you know, if this the sports betting was legal back then and they had live odds on, uh, you know, when the striker's going to come into the game and replace uh, CJ Sapong. Yeah. We, we would all be rich, you know, and we'd all be living on the main line. So, um, this is from Dave. He says, my worry this season was that Flock, um, as much as I love him, leaves the union far too right-sided. Um, and if you cut off uh, Gaj Dog, you can't feed the new strikers. Should McGlynn start? What other options do they have? Yeah, I mean, they've got McGlynn. They've got Bueno. They've got um, Sullivan, who played there. I mean, so those are your three, you know, two homegrown options within the shuttlers. I just, you know, I, I think you can solve it a little bit. I mean, you... you Bedoya can't be playing every game, especially when they start playing midweek. He can't be playing ninety minutes every game. You know, Flock. I think the the you could certainly try starting McGlynn and giving him the sixty minutes, and then play Leon the thirty. You know, because I, I think he can come in and do like a Warren Carvalho kind of thing and help shut it down and give you some energy and just just bulldog it out there. You know, for sure. So they they do have options. You know. Uh, Max says, uh, did the union have a conundrum in that they need a poacher, um, but they also need someone that will help out the press and track back? Does that striker exist? You know, I don't know. And a lot of this, too, uh, we should, you know, uh, put an asterisk on the flock discussion and say, you know, once uh, or scores his first goal and it goes in, then maybe the Leon and we're not talking about Leon. You know, that's the funny thing about it is we're talking about like a like a box to box guy who's like a utility knife. We're like, well, let's jumpstart the offense by taking out one of the eights. Replacing one of the one of the eights, you know, but uh, it does all start up top, you know. And if if they, there's just some moments where Gajdog and Karanzer and uh, you know Or look like they were just like 
blending and sliding around perfectly. And just like they had this great understanding. And then you see other moments where, you know, like at the end of the game there, it looked like they had, uh, or was making like a run to the channel and gosh, dog hit it like 10 yards behind him, you know? So, I mean, that's the stuff to be expected, you know, but now we're a bunch of games in. So it's, you know, how long can we keep saying, well, you know, or just has to get that first one, you know? Cause uh, we're looking at, we're looking at May now we're staring down May. So, um, Brian says it's past time, uh, past the time to get flock out of the starting lineup for his lackluster offensive skill. Do you think Jim will pull the trigger and start one of the kids, uh, use Leon late a la Creval. Oh yeah. Good thought, man. Look, like that was, uh, you know, great minds think alike. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't look ahead at these. So it's funny that you mentioned the Creval thing too, at the same time, but I, I certainly think he could do that or he should do that. You know, look, if he, he wasn't afraid to, you know, do the, uh, Mbizo for Harriel thing. Right. So, uh, you know, my question would be like, what's, what's different, um, with flock or, you know, any, anybody else, you know, like, is there more loyalty? To, is there more loyalty to Flock than there is in Bizo, or is it because he was making individual defensive mistakes? You know, what's what's the the philosophy there? You know, so uh, this is from Trey. Uh, he says I might be a bit contrarian here, but I don't think Flock is one hundred percent the issue with the offense. Um, we're getting chances, but the final pass and decision making has been subpar. And I agree with that. I agree with that too. You know, you know, if they convert on that first one, um, then we're not having this discussion. You know. You know, or they hit on that one where the ball came across the box for Carranza. They're up, uh, I guess, two not to uh, two nothing to that point. We're not having this discussion either. So you know, I just think it's okay to be to do some justified Negadelphia just because they're in first place and you expect a lot out of this team. You know, this is not like you know asking if Joe Girardi should be fired five games into the season. You know, like we know what this Union team is and they have high expectations. So I don't think any any Negadelphia kind of stuff. I do. I, I think it's actually warranted because of. Uh, you know, it's, it's all relative based on, you know, expectations, which should, should have been high, you know, uh, Pete says, I want to see more fluidity with the ball. Um, I don't really expect it given the team's development over the years. Um, I would love McGlynn over flock for a few games. The strikers and gosh dog look decent, but I'm not sure they're lethal enough. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good word. Lethal lethality. Um, you know, I always, we always swap that and say like killer instinct. Like, do you have a nose for goal? You know, like, um, you know, just a, just a clinical like finisher, just a guy who knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. I wish I, I wish I could quant, you know, qualify that a little bit better, but like it's just dudes who know who know how to score, you know. And uh, you wonder if Orr is going to be that guy. Uh, Mike says, "How much longer before we start getting concerned about the goals being so hard to come by?" I'll say two weeks. Joe says, "Was Pat Noonan the key to Curtin's ability to adjust mid-game?" Uh, it seems like Curtin is getting out coached and is uncertain with subs. Um, I mean, I have no clue. It's just a question I can't answer because, you know, the only person, there's only two people on the planet who can answer that, and that's Noonan and Curtin, you know. Yeah, or, you know, if you're sitting on the bench, you never hear him. You know, I think there's a guy who listens to the podcast who sits right behind the union bench. Um, So if you've heard anything about Pat Noonan going over to Jim and telling him what to do mid-game, then let me know, you know. Um, Joe also says, how confident are, are you that, uh, that or will begin scoring goals regularly? Again, we see the flashes, you know I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't look lost out there. Like he's making the right movements. He's making the right runs. He's getting decent enough looks when he peels wide, he's putting some good balls into the box and uh, he could have a couple of assists already this season for sure. So I don't, you know, that was kind of like the Sebastian Latou year in 2011. I don't know how much you guys remember that one, but Sebastian was just like snake bit and he just like could not get anything to go in. 
But I think like through the first however many games, he had like eight assists. I think he had like zero goals and eight assists at one point. And I think that year he may have ended up with like three goals and like 12 assists or something. So if he can contribute in that way, then sure. Um, but, uh, I mean, he he still looks the part, you know, so I don't I don't see anything to be concerned about. Um, finally, his last one here is from Jim. Uh, he says, lack of possession is turning into a problem. No, uh, Montero is missed. Um, I mean, again, you have to frame all of this by, you know, looking at the way that they want to play. I mean, they don't want possession. You know, they don't they don't want the ball. And so they would just tell you that it's not a problem, you know, because this is the way we play, you know. But it, it inevitably, and we've talked about this over and over again, it's like you, you, there are points where you're going to have the ball, you know. So what, 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 do you, what do you do when you do have the ball, you know? And I think that's why, um, well, you go back to the, like, Madunian in years, and they weren't playing the same way. But, you know, you would look at those really pretty passages where they would just bang, 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 hit a couple passes, and they would just, like, strangle you in possession for a little bit. They, they don't have that. You know, I, I don't sense that there's, like, a, you know, if there's a game where a team is sitting back or you do find yourself having more possession, I don't really – I don't see – Who's gonna Who's gonna like take that over for you? Like Jack McGlynn's really young, probably the best like on ball kind of ball mover that they have. So I think it's just hard because you don't really have a kind of like a plan B to go to. You know, um, it's almost like I'll use this this um, this uh, analogy here, this comparison here. I don't know how many of you watch Bob Huggins play uh, coach uh, Cincinnati or West Virginia back in the day, but, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, funny enough, there was basketball pressing, you know, full court press, you know, pick up 90 feet and, uh, you know, you thrived on turning other teams over and getting offensive rebounds and, uh, you know, doing all these auxiliary kind of things and turning defense into offense, you know? Um, but you know, when other teams were making their shots or they weren't turning the ball over, it's like, Oh shit, we got to take Nick Van Exel, you know, and uh, Javon Carter down here in different eras. And we got to, you know, do some kind of half court offense. We've got to create shots, you know? And so I think it's hard for pressing teams, one way defensive teams to, to play, to, to adapt mid game because, you know, you're, you're built to play only one way specifically and you just don't really have the personnel or the types of players to do other things. You know, if there's a team that's just booting the ball to you and giving you 60% possession, what are you doing with it? Are you kicking it back to them and say, Hey, let me try to turn you over. So, you know, again, I think that's kind of a continuation of the, you know, the stuff, the topic that we've talked about a lot on this, uh, on this podcast, which is like, Hey, what's your kind of plan B or what's your adjustment? You know, cause you don't have El Senio anymore and you can't do the four, two, three, one. So I think that's probably the biggest question that Jim has to figure out moving forward. You know, how do I use my subs better and, and how do I kind of switch up the approach mid game here? If, if what we're doing isn't working. So, um, all right, well, there you go. I promised you one before uh, vacation. So I wanted to get that out there. Thanks again for, uh, for everybody for listening for your questions too. And, uh, yeah, live show on um, on the 18th of June, and we'll get the details out to you. I'm looking forward to it, and it'll be nice to uh, to see everybody in person again because it feels like I've been sitting in my house for two and a half years and uh, raising my kids and talking into a microphone. So it'll be nice to see everybody's faces again. All right, that'll do it. Episode 152. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>